Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Today I'm going to talk about the Magic Kingdom. And there are things about the Magic Kingdom that everybody wants to be aware of and should be aware of. How many of you want to be happy? How many of you sometimes feel like you're looking for a place of escape? Just a place where you can let your hair down and relax and and be happy. So everyone pretends sometimes that there's a magic kingdom. I know in 1971, the um, Clochet Barbershop Quartet was mentioning that uh, Disney opened that year, and it just so happened that year that me and Janice and Michael, we were traveling as the soul searchers, and we were actually in a revival in Winter Garden, Florida. And so we did revival at night and Disney during the day. Disney was brand new, the Magic Kingdom. And wow, I was as dazzled by the Magic Kingdom as any little child was dazzled. You know, you go there and you see these beautiful little princesses, these little girls, and they have their gowns on and their wands and their, uh, their little crowns, and you look into their eyes and they're not even home. They're somewhere in a fairyland. They really believe they're a prince. Every little girl wants to be a prince, princess. Every guy wants to be a hero. And we all seek to enter these magical places where we've never been before. And there at the Magic Kingdom, you can do it. What about Never Never Land? You can be Peter Pan for a day. What about a whole new world? Some of you feel like you need one every once in a while? You can be Aladdin. What about Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland. Sometimes you wish things were a Wonderland and they're not. Every one of us really down in our hearts, we dream of defeating the villains of this world. Down in our hearts, we dream of conquering uh, the evil of this world and that good shall certainly prevail over evil. And certainly every one of us just simply want to live happily ever after. Is that you? So when you talk about the magical kingdom, I guess there are things magical about it. But I want to talk about a kingdom today that is not a magical kingdom. It's not a sleight of hand. It is a creation of a supernatural God who created a supernatural kingdom for his children to inhabit and enjoy. If you've ever dreamed of living in a faraway kingdom and all of the things that I've just discussed being a reality in your life, God created such a kingdom for you. And he created a book that is filled with promises for all the children of his kingdom. If you're in my kingdom and my kingdom is in you, he says, then everything in this book is for you. You can believe everything that I have put forth in this book. And when Jesus came into the earth, he went up on a mount, the mount uh, that they talk about there, where he gave the sermon, and it became famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And those were the tenets of the kingdom of God. 
He spoke of a kingdom. He spoke of things people couldn't understand. He spoke of of a, a heartfelt experience. He didn't really speak of externalization or external things, but he spoke all about internal things and internalization. He spoke of peace in the heart. He, he spoke of being a peacemaker. He spoke of being filled with love, joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and goodness, and meekness, and temperance, and kindness, and patience, and all of these things which are all inward attributes of the Spirit. He spoke of a kingdom that was not outward, but a kingdom that was inward. He spoke of a kingdom that was not natural, but it was spiritual. And thus people didn't understand it and they didn't get it. There was a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who had assumed his reign in a long line of great rulers in Babylon, beginning with Nimrod, the great-great-grandson of Noah, who began to build on the plain there, the Mesopotamian Valley, and began to build a city. That city morphed in to Babylon, and then Babylon morphed in to the great Babylonian empire. Then the great Babylonian empire morphed in to the, the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Then that morphed into a demigod. Uh, the people looking at, at, at their ruler as though he was a god, he announced to the world he would build a tower that reached into the heavens because a god needs his heavens. And so it continued to morph and change. And then somewhere along the way, Nebuchadnezzar became king. He directed the Babylonian troops toward Israel and they overthrew the southern kingdom of Judah. And Daniel, the, the great Daniel of the lion's den, was living there and in power during that time. And he took Daniel and some of the great minds and and some of the great young men and women of the day and took them back to Babylon and put them in his cabinet and made them a part of his government. One day Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and no one on his staff, none of his wise men, none of his seers could interpret the dream. Someone told him there is one of those Jewish guys, one of those Hebrews that interprets dreams. His name is Daniel. So he sent for Daniel and brought Daniel in, and Daniel interpreted a dream for him. Now, the thing that's interesting about this dream that he interpreted is that he waited till the final end of his interpretation and prophetically began to give Nebuchadnezzar a word of prophecy and began to prophesy about the future, the end time in which we live now. So in Daniel 2.44, here's what he said. Throughout history, the history of all of these kingdoms, O king, these kingdoms that you're worried about breaching your border and coming in and usurping your authority and overthrowing you. Throughout the history of all these kingdoms, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will this kingdom ever fall under the dominion of another. You're worried about a natural kingdom that is seen of men and is visible 
being encroached upon and overthrown by other kingdoms. But I have a prophetic flash for you. During these kingdoms and the years that all of these great kingdoms of the world and ancient civilizations are being erected and set up, these, these earth-born totalitarianisms, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom of his own. And he said it will never be under the dominion of any other kingdom. It will never be under overthrown. No other kingdom will ever breach its borders. No other kingdom shall ever attack it with any success whatsoever. He went on to say, in the end, everybody say the end. Say this, we're in the end. This is the end time. Say it with me. This is the end time. In the end, it will crush this kingdom that God sets up will crush all the other kingdoms and finish them off and come through it all standing strong come through it all standing strong and eternal o king this kingdom that god is going to set up is going to cause all of the kingdoms of the world to be crushed and to come down now let me say this that daniel foresaw when he was prophesying to Nebuchadnezzar he foresaw the Messiah Jesus Christ coming and establishing his kingdom upon the earth now let's go over to the New Testament the Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews the 12th chapter starting with verse 25 so don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, in other words, all the people in the Old Testament when God warned them of their sins, if they didn't get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? So Paul said, we've got to listen to to God too. If they didn't get away with it, how do we expect to get away with it? He said his voice that time, speaking of Sinai, remember when he spoke from Sinai and the Bible said the entire earth shook at his voice? The Bible says his voice that time at Sinai shook the earth to its foundations. Then he says, but this time, everybody say this time. time. There's going to be another shaking. Everybody say this time. time. Say in time. This time. This time, he's told us this quite uh, plainly, that he'll also rock the heavens. This time, he's not going to only shake the earth, but he's going to rock the heavens as as well. One last shaking, everybody say one last shaking. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house-cleaning getting rid of all of the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? Here's here's what Paul is saying. Do you see what this unshakable kingdom is that we have? Because everything else is going to be shook, shaken down to its foundation. The whole world is going to be shaken. So do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. Our kingdom is unshakable. 
And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to be burnt, and won't quit until it's all cleaned. And then he just threw this in. God himself is a fire. In other words, if he can't shake it loose, he'll burn it loose. So you know what that means? God's a shaker. And he's also a burning fire. So it means God's a shaker and God's a baker. So God's a shaker and a baker. Back when I was a boy, I went down to the Boutwell Auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama to see Jerry Lee Lewis, a prophet of rock and roll. And he threw his leg up on the piano and began to play the piano and had his leg banging on the piano. We all thought he was playing the piano with his leg. We were so excited. And he sang his brand new hit called Whole Lot of Shaking Going On. And I want you to know that we're in a world that Daniel prophesied about. We're in a world that Paul prophesied about. That there is a whole lot of shaking going on. ISIS brought us ethnic cleansing to a degree we've never seen anything like it before. Ethnic centrism, wars and rumors of wars, famines and pestilence and AIDS and Ebola and earthquakes and, and every kind of thing that you can imagine this earth is reeling and being shaken and God is shaking and God is burning out everything in this world that can be burned out. The shaking of those things that can be shaken is what the Bible calls it. He is shaking things for the purpose of God's kingdom. Has two purposes. Number one, to reveal that which is of his kingdom and to expose that which is not of his kingdom. So God is taking hold of everything and shaking it to reveal that which is a part of his kingdom and shaking and burning loose all that is not a part of his kingdom. You know, there's a great fallacy today that has existed for a lot of years. And that is the fallacy of the kingdom. Because so many feel like the kingdom has no relevance until Jesus Christ returns in the rapture, takes the church away, and then after the marriage supper of the Lamb returns to this earth and sets up a literal kingdom upon the earth from whence he will reign from 1,000 years, for 1,000 years. A lot of people only see that aspect of the kingdom of God. And they have fully missed it. To a great degree, the church has fully missed it. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus spoke of the kingdom over 100 times in his ministry? Have you ever considered the fact that every parable began by Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man or a this or a that? It all centered around the kingdom of heaven. So was he just taunting us and pointing to something after this life that would come later down the road? 
Did he speak 100 times about something that we could never tangibly touch or know or see or understand or feel that was somewhere down the road? Was his message a total pie-in-the-sky message? Someday when this happened, when that happens, you'll get to experience, or does somebody miss something somewhere? Well, let me tell you my theory about the kingdom based on almost 50 years of studying the word and preaching the kingdom. I believe in kingdom now, but not yet. Kingdom now, but not yet. Because the kingdom is twofold. In our life, it's spiritual and invisible. And Jesus talked about it over a hundred times. The Sermon on the Mount were the tenets of the kingdom. They're all internalized and not externalized. He said, turn the other cheek when someone slaps you on one. He said, go the second mile if somebody asks you to go one. He said, if somebody asks you for your shirt, give them your coat also. Those are all things that happen here. They're internalized. The peace, the joy, the love, the long-suffering, the goodness, the kindness, the meekness, the temperance, the patience, all of those things happen here because the kingdom is within you. Luke 17, 21, Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. You don't just look and see it and say there it is or there it is externally. He said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's spiritual, it's invisible, and it's within you. How does it get within you? When Jesus Christ comes into your heart, the king enters and brings his kingdom with him. And he reigns and he rules from within you and I. And there is this dangerous theory that the Pharisees and the Jews had because they thought it would be an outward kingdom an earthly kingdom, a political kingdom, a territorial kingdom, a nationalistic kingdom, a Hebrew kingdom. They thought Jesus would pick up the sword and gather his army around him and say, follow me, men, and overthrow the pagan Romans and all the other kingdoms that had raised up that hated the Jewish people, the Assyrians and, and all the many others. But when Jesus did not do that, all of their hopes and their dreams of the Messiah warrior, the Messiah king, the Messiah deliverer were dashed. And they said, away with him. Crucify him. He's not the Messiah we've been waiting for. He's not the one that is going to restore the kingdom of Israel to its glory. Because he came to restore and build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Israel. Invisible, spiritual, and within those who receive and accept him into their lives. But their vision was a completely different vision. They looked for a grand display of power by Jesus. They looked for him to overwhelm their enemies 
They looked for every eye of every person to be startled at the might and the power of Jesus. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. And when he was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, that didn't work for them. It didn't fit their narrative. When he grew up to be a carpenter and in a carpenter's home, that didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. When he gathered no army around, them, around him, that didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. When he struck no blow for nationalism, it didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. When there was no ostentation about his method, when he was laid back and quiet and unassuming, that didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. When he saw blessing as taking time to minister to one little woman at the well and one little individual that something had happened in their life, that didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. And when he was quiet and unpretentious and humble and sweet and kind, it didn't work for them because it didn't fit their narrative. And so the Pharisees and the Jews finally said, this must not be the Messiah. This must not be the king, the warrior king that we await who will lead our armies to victory over the world and restore the kingdom of Israel. That's the great mistake. Then there's another great mistake. You and I do that with God every day. We too want to externalize God. Be careful of those who preach a gospel of materialism and who preach a gospel of externalization. If you really live for God, if you really get in love with God, you get a 5,000 square foot house with five bedrooms, a new BMW, a new boat, a cabin in the mountains, what are you doing? Externalizing God. You're saying, pick up the, pick up the sword. Get the shield, the spear. Get up front. Get your army behind you. Externalize, externalize, externalize. God's kingdom will not be externalized. God's kingdom is invisible at this stage and point. It is invisible. It is spiritual. God's kingdom is on the inside of you where the king dwells and where the king resides. Be careful to not short sell the gladness of your heart when you don't see the sunny circumstances externally of life. Because even though you don't see the sunny circumstances externalized in life, there can be a wellspring of joy coming out of you because the kingdom is in full operation. The king is in full control and in your heart and in your breast there can be a peace that passes all understanding. 
I would rather have a heart that is pure because that is a kingdom heart. It's not our righteousness, but it's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He even said our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. It's not about anything outwardly that we can do. It's about an inward position, who we are in Christ. And we have His righteousness. Thus, we have a pure heart. We have a heart that is at rest when we're in, king, in the kingdom. We have a heart that is at home with God. And the Bible said, out of the heart shall flow the issues of life. They won't come out of a 5,000 square foot house, a Beamer or a Mercedes or a cabin in the mountains or a boat or a big bank account, but out of the heart will flow the issues of life. The kingdom will flow out of your heart and if you're able to hold on to all of these kingdom principles in your heart, then you will be able to hold on to all the things out there without them holding on to you. There's another danger, and it's the danger of believing that everything is out there. After the rapture, the kingdom is going to be established. You, you see these people that always want the rapture to come? You know, I, I love Pentecost. I grew up Pentecostal, but I couldn't stand their music. Because <laughs> always moaning and groaning about Jesus coming back. Someday he's going to wipe away the tears and we'll hurt no more. And all these old songs just moaning and groaning. All in the future, all in the future, all in the future. When you're in the kingdom and the kingdom's in you, there's life in you. There's healing in you. There's deliverance in you. There's financial prosperity in you. There's blessing in you. When the kingdom's in you and the king is in you, everything you need dwells within your breast. Preach on, Brother Gary. And see, the problem with everything being out there you know, I, this rapture bus stuff anyway, I just, you know, if they, they're putting it, if, if, if you're one of those people that wants the rapture bus to come, don't count me in because uh, I'll take a later bus. I don't want to go now. <laughs> but you know what? The world is dying and lost. And the kingdom in me and the kingdom in you is the only kingdom they'll ever see. The king in me and the king in you is the only king they will ever see. We have been made stewards of the kingdom. It is our job to get the world ready for a king to come back and receive his kingdom and establish a natural kingdom for 1,000 years, at which point every nation of the world will surrender, every kingdom will surrender their authority and their power and their influence and their position at the feet of Jesus. And do you know what the Bible said? That Jesus would take all of the kingdoms of the world that had been surrendered him to him. And the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel both say, and he shall give them as a gift to the Father. Here they are, Father, all the kingdoms of the world. Your kingdom now reigns supreme.
This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.